Welcome, welcome back to Raw Before Christ. This episode, we will be covering mental health, and I have a guest speaker with me today. Um, so, why don't you introduce yourself? Absolutely. So, um, my name is Patricia Odua, and um, although a lot of people don't tell their age, I am <laughs> I am 34 years old, and I am a graduate student at Merrimack College um, here in North Andover. This is uh, my last semester, so I will be finishing up, and my degree is in um, clinical counsel, clinical counseling mental health. Um, and I've been in the uh, psychology field uh, for the last nine years. So my undergrad is in um, counseling and psychology as well from Evangel University in Missouri. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's me. I'm married. <laughs> I'm married, yes. We're going on eight years, so. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, thank you for joining me. I know you and I already prayed beforehand, but I just want to pray again because this is how I normally open up the podcast. Amen, <laughs> yes. And here we go. So, eternal God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to sit here today together, God, to just venture on the topic of mental health, God. And I pray that this will bless those who are listening, God. I pray that people will begin to find answers and begin to understand what's going on inside of them, God. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and just have your sweet way, God. I thank you and I honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Trish, tell us about mental health. Like, what is mental health? What What is it, you know, what's involved with mental health? How do we understand mental health? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, mental health is, is, is crucial for everyone to truly understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health is a person's condition in regards to their psychological and emotional well-being. Mental health includes their emotional, their psychological, and social well-being. So it's mm-hmm. all of these components together. Um, it affects how we think. It also affects the way that we feel. Right. It also helps to determine how one addresses or handles situations such as stress um, and how they make some of these choices. And it's very important in every stage of your life, you know, from childhood to adolescent or adulthood. So it's literally the state of your mind, mm-hmm. you know. It's how well is it? Where's the well-being? That's where we talk about our mental health. We talk about what's going on there. You know, mental health in itself doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. You can be in good mental health. You know, Um, I think sometimes we we associate mental health with oh something's bad. You can be in great mental health state. Um, It's just when your mental health isn't operating the way that it should that's when we encounter diagnoses that we see listed on the dsm and different things can happen with our mind um that can create a condition that prevents us or hinders us um or causes additional stress on how we handle our life situations and circumstances um so yeah so that's that's overall 
what you know, like. what, what mental health looks like. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, mental health doesn't have to look like something's wrong because a surrounding mental health, there's a stigma of, you know, I feel certain, you know, way my mind isn't fully clear and I'm afraid to talk about it because there are some stigmas out there. So I don't know, could you help us to navigate around those stigmas and, you know, what those stigmas may look like? Yeah, yeah, of course. So for it's very important for us to understand, right, that like just because you're sad doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong right Right. if you have someone who passed away that you care about like it's very normal for human beings to feel sad that's a a normal feeling Mm -hmm. um you know when when we go into you know i'm stressed i'm starting a new job i'm moving you know i'm having children like all of these are normal stressors of life which can cause you to um, feel stressed or feel sad or to feel grief like there's different emotions that you feel and that doesn't necessarily mean that there is a mental health condition right. it just means that you're going through life normal <laughs> yeah. right so it's okay to talk about those things but it's also okay to say you know my parent passed away and I'm not able to eat I'm not able to you know, go out or do the normal things that I do with my life um, because I'm still grieving and it's been a year, mm-hmm. you know, prolonged grief and things like that. Or I'm just been so sad and I have no idea. Like this, now we're, we're stepping into like, you know, conditions of mental health, you know, diagnoses of mental health. And um, it's also okay if we are experiencing that. Now, the biggest thing that I see is that like, Physically, if you were to get into a car accident and break a leg or be bleeding, everyone would come around you and be like, Carisha, let's get you to the hospital, you know, and you're not going to be like, well, I'm fine. You know, I'm just, you know, you're, you're going to want to find that healing. Um, But it's so evident physically that people can see that you need that healing, that everyone is around you trying to support you to get that healing with mental health. The stigma is that we can't see it. We can't necessarily see that you're bleeding. We can't necessarily see the broken leg or the broken arm. Or sometimes we don't even know an accident happened, right? So we don't know what's going on on a person's mind or what they're going through. But it's the same type of deal when it comes to their mental health if they're suffering. They are eternally, like, in their minds, you know, bleeding. They're going through something and people can't necessarily... Um, visualize that so the stigma comes from like you must be okay Mm -hmm. you know if I can't see what's wrong you must be fine like you know what I'm saying like and then for the person who's going through it it's feeling like well I should be okay you know I don't want to talk about it I don't want to bring it up because mental health has such a stigma to like well if I have a diagnosis like I'm being labeled or people are going to look at me differently or like are people going to be afraid you know like especially depending the culture that you come from you know (laughs) depending like your family like your belief like you know here in our western world um mental health is definitely more appreciated right but if you come from you know south america or latin america or different you know countries um you will find that stigma of mental health like we don't air our dirty laundry you know Mm -hmm. we're not gonna tell people that we're feeling this way um and even in the christian faith mental health has been a big stigma you know if you have faith if you believe in god (laughs) 
you shouldn't be depressed. (laughs) You know, you shouldn't have bipolar. But are we saying that to those who have cancer? Are we saying that to those who have other chronic diabetes? Well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have diabetes. (laughs) You're eating too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't do that. And those are the stigma that we find um, a lot of people suffering from mental health. is the society that we're in the culture that we're in, the people that are in are not necessarily as supportive as they should be um, in saying that it's okay. If if it's normal stress, that's okay. If the stress has prolonged itself, that's also okay, you know? Um, So yeah, there's a lot of stigma around, you know, mental health labeling, medication, you know? Like, you don't need to take meds, you know? Um, It's just, it's really sad and I'm really glad that we're doing this podcast because people need to hear that if your mental health is not okay, it's that's okay. <laughs> like it's okay for you to be struggling. It's okay. The answer is seeking help, you know, right. and having the actual support to help you get through that mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, getting support, but like what are specific ways that people that find themselves having mental health conditions or you know you find you feel like you're getting to that point how do you handle that yeah yeah so i'm just going to throw some stats out there right so one in 5 adults experience a mental health issue um one in 10 young people experience a period of major depression mm-hmm. and one in 25 americans lived with a serious mental health illness such as schizophrenia, bipolar, or major depression. When you look at these statistics, you're saying that, okay, like these numbers are adding up. There's like someone in this room suffered with mental health. Um, How do you go about seeking that help, right? Like who do you talk to? Where do you go? And again, I feel like it falls on society. I feel like it falls on those who have a good state of mental health at this point to support those who don't. Mm -hmm. Because if you are severely depressed, you're not going to want to leave your house. If you are severely depressed, you're not going to want to talk about it. You're going to feel like you're a burden to people. You're not like, you're not thinking straight. So for me to say, well, it's your responsibility to go seek help. It's kind of unfair, right? It seems very unfair. And, I, and you should, you should cry out for help. You know, I know I did, and maybe I'll get to share a little bit of my story about that, but it doesn't, I feel like if everyone else is educated on the topic of mental health yeah. and we look for the signs that we normally would see with a physical condition, if someone is suffering from cancer, you know, they're going through chemotherapy, their hairs have fallen out, you know, we're physically able to see the disability and we're constantly, oh, I'm praying for you or what can I do for you? What can I help you? With mental health should be the same way. We should be educated enough as a society, as people of faith, you know, to be able to say something is going on with so-and-so. Let me check in. That might be a door for that individual to say, I'm not okay. I'm suffering with depression, you know, or I'm suffering with bipolar or, you know, just, I feel like the responsibility really should fall on the society and the, and the, and the people that we are surrounded by. Um, however, with that being said, if you are an individual who is suffering with any diagnoses from the DSM, the DSM, it's like 
the psychological Bible, right? You go through it and you kind of find different diagnoses that people may have, and this is the qualification for it. So once you determine, okay, I know that I am struggling, you know, try to find someone that you trust and you might not need to give all the details, you know, but reach out for help reach out as much as you can and at that point you know and there's resources that I can provide even today yeah. in this podcast that you can do you know there's a a crisis uh text line you can actually text a number from so your you phone you don't have to call if you're an introvert yes <laughs> you, don't have to call. you do not <laughs> you just text you just text okay it's crisis counselors available 24 hours if it's four in the morning you're like i can't call my best friend yeah text the line yeah. all right and that is 741-7741 741-7741 text the crisis text line if you're feeling suicidal if you're feeling depressed if you're feeling you just need guidance where do i go how do i find a therapist how do i find a this is you know they they can help you right you know we also have the national suicide prevention lifeline that you can reach out we also have the national domestic violence hotline that you can um reach it reach out to and um you know if you're a student and you're in school every school should have a um counseling or a counselor um on site that you can, you know, ask for assistance, that you can ask for help, and they can do that. And then, you know, this message again, back to friends and family, be kind, ask questions, be available, and listen, you know? So those are kind of some of, like, the resources and how to go about um, seeking the help that you need and not feeling so isolated and alone. Because as you heard the statistics earlier, you're definitely not alone. There is many people... Who are going, going through it. Who's going through it. And there's also supports, you know, like support groups that they're out there for mental health. I know we did one um, a couple, uh, not a couple months ago, last year we did one. Um, a new creation healing center in New Hampshire. And they're often running those through, you know. So even if you just Google like mental health support um, groups in my area, right. like you'll find it. You can go, you don't have to say anything. You can just sit there and listen. Yeah. 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 So... So for those of us who were not necessarily battling mental health, but like, what are the signs that we look for? Because you mentioned signs, but what, what do those signs look like? What, what are we looking for when we want to know if someone's okay? Like something seems off, but you want to know fully. Like, is this person really going through it with mental health? Or, you know, what, do, what, what does that sign look like? Yeah, yeah. So basically... Mental health can fall into mental health conditions um, or diagnosis can fall into different aspects of a person's life. So it can impact like their mood. So we have like mood disorders. Right. Um, then there's personality disorders. Then we we're looking at also trauma related disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, people who've gone through some traumatic events. Um, and there's substance abuse disorders. Right. People who are using substance and that also impacts their mental health. Um, there's eating disorders, there's anxiety disorders, and there's psychotic disorders. So there's different components, and it can be very overwhelming oh, yeah. <laughs> to think about, like, okay, what am I looking for, you know? Um, <laughs> but I think most importantly, um, 
you know, if you know the person and you hear, you know, things like, you know, I've had insomnia, like I'm not able to sleep or haven't, you know, got a good night rest and, you know, ask more questions. Was that just last night or are you struggling with sleeping overall? You know, so someone who's not able to sleep, it's a good indication that they might be going through um, some mental health illnesses or conditions, um, you know, feeling of worth of worthlessness, right? Feeling like you just hear that negative talk, right? Like, oh, I can't do it or this isn't worth it. Like they're very pessimistic. There might be something going on. Um, feeling fatigue, loss of energy, um, inability to concentrate, right. you know, and, and these, these symptoms are more specific to like major depressive disorder, but they can also intermingle with other diagnoses as well. Um, and then loss of interest in formerly enjoyable events. So if you know your friend loves to, you know, go for ice cream and go ice skating yeah. and like all of a sudden they're like not answering their phone, they're not going ice skating. Like that's an indication that something, something is, is off, wrong, yeah. right? And you can start asking and that could be like they're feeling depressed or they could be using substances, you know? Or if you know someone has had a traumatic experience in their life, you know, ask questions. How are you doing? You know, check in. How are you doing about that? I know you... You know, you went through this, like sexual abuse is a big thing, you know, mm -hmm. like just being able to ask these questions and then anxiety. And it's important to know that like these symptoms are persistent for two weeks. So it's like someone might be feeling down for two, three days. Yes, please check on them. We want to make sure they're okay, right? But definitely check on them if you've seen this for more than like two weeks. Two weeks yeah. yeah, so two, two weeks is what we look for with the diagnosis. Um, so yeah, I would be looking for signs that are impacting your mood. Are they being different with their mood? Um, you know, how's their personality going? Like, has that changed? You know, a big one for eating disorder is, you know, either someone is binge eating too much mm -hmm. or not eating enough or using the bathroom right after they eat. Um, you know, just being mindful of that. I know in college I had, um, a roommate I wouldn't say a roommate, like a friend on the floor um, who had an eating disorder and I had no idea. Um, but every time we would eat, she'd go to the bathroom. To the bathroom. And um, I started asking questions, you know, and it was always like, oh, that's too much calories or this. And, you know, like there was there was these signs. So it's it's um, it's good to ask questions right. to follow up, you know, um, just. Yeah. You know, sometimes with anxiety, the person may be sweating a lot unable to relax, um, you know, their heart, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack, you know, like ask them about that. Their heart is pounding, racing, you know, um, and just trying to keep them, we use it in psychology, grounding, you know, keep them in the present, you know, what, what can you smell? What can you see? Things like that. Um, yeah. So it's, it all depends what they're going through for right. these signs. Um, with substance abuse, it can be a little bit, you know, difficult because substance abuse impacts two areas of an individual's life so one aspect of that individual's life um it's their physical body you know how they respond to the drug or if there's any withdrawals so you'll be seeing that um and their physical and you know maybe their um eyes get wider or if they're smoking marijuana you'll see like you know chink their eyes will get chinkier or you'll see the redness on their eyes if it's heroin you might see the signs on their arms there's different kinds of drugs will um cause 
your loved one, your friend to respond differently. So those are things that you can look for in regards to the physical aspect of it. And then, um, which can look different for someone who's struggling with depression, you know, it's more um, in the mind and emotional and not very much physical. Um, so the other aspect of substance abuse disorder is that it does impact a person's cognitive ability to process, to think, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're addicted to a particular drug. Um, we know that it, it impacts a part of their brain that aligns itself with survival. So the same way that your body tells you, I need to drink water and I need to eat to survive, um, the drug addiction comes in and it's like, you need drugs to survive. So they're, they, um, you know, it's not something that they can control at that point because their body is not responding to that. So it's what we call it a disease model. Um, and, you know, their ability to function and make rightful decision, their executive part of their brain isn't properly working. And, you know, sometimes people are like, why are you choosing drugs over your kids? You know, and it's like, well, they're technically not because their brain is saying like, this is what you need what to you survive. Need. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you were dying thirsty in the desert and you needed a cup of water to survive and they were like, we'll give you this water or, you know, and if you don't take, if you take this water and you survive, you know, you lose all your money or your family, you're going to want the water to survive. It's just a survival mode of humanity. So that's kind of um, what happens with substance abuse. So it's a little bit more complex because you're looking at two aspects of an individual's life. Not that other disorders don't intermingle with that a little bit, um, but substance is more evident with that part. So yeah, it's just kind of, um, you know, just paying attention to the people you know and those that you don't know, you know, be kind, be nice and ask questions. How are you really doing? How are things, you know? Um, you just never know what a difference you can make. That's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, so, um, how are ways that, you know, we can, because we speak, we spoke about stigma. So, like, how can we lessen these stigmas around, that surround mental health? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think it's important to look um, at our own biases to diminish some of these um, stigmas. Mm -hmm. That's number one. What do you believe about mental health, right? So start thinking about that. Like, what, what are my stigmas around that? What was my upbringing about that? Right. Like, internalizing to you what it means and then making that change, right? Like, for me, I'll just be honest. Like, um, even though I've been in this field for a long time and I've promoted medication, I wasn't really medication believer I would probably say yeah. I had my own stigmas around that you know I was like well I have God yeah I don't need to take medication for mental health but if I had a bad day with a bad headache and I would go and take a Tylenol yeah right um so it wasn't until like recently where I started to realize you know like it's okay to take medication when you need to you know and um, now I'm a big advocate for Lexapro, which is an anti-anxiety medication, which I'm on. And I absolutely love it. I'm taking it not just for anxiety, but I have other um, medical diagnoses that align with that, that it's um, endometriosis. So that's very helpful for that condition, but it also helps alleviate some of my anxiety. And when I started taking it, I'm like, what the heck? I've been missing. Like, 
because for a long time I had my own stigma that I did not need it. Mm-hmm. And I always thought to myself, someone with more anxiety can benefit from it, but not me, you know, because I'm not that bad, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, recognize your own stigmas, I would probably say, is a number one way to start bringing change. And as you begin to recognize those stigmas, start educating and promoting you know, the opposite, um, that it's okay to go through what you're going through, you know, um, educating your community, the people that you're around. Um, for me, my biggest thing is my, my community is my church Mm -hmm. is the people that I come in contact with in those circles of faith believers and every opportunity that I got, I'm promoting, you know, it's okay to have conditions, psychological issues. It's okay to still be a believer and go through these things. Um, I read an article, I think it was last year, a pastor had committed suicide because he was battling with depression and not even his wife (laughs) pretty much knew what, like what was going on with him. So he felt such a burden to keep it to himself Mm -hmm. because he didn't feel like sharing it was a sign of strong faith, you know, and it led him to commit suicide because of the condition that he was battling with. That is sad. We are Christians. We are believers. We are to support those that are around us. So that's the biggest like advocacy that I have like in my community, being able to do that. And even if you aren't a Christian, you know, and you grew up in a home and they don't believe about mental health and they're like, you know, there's no, you know, we don't, we don't take our, our stuff to therapists, you know, <laughs> like all of these beliefs, like, try to educate yourself on that and as you educate yourself on that you promote you know the well-being of others the biggest and most important thing is understanding that mental health diagnosis are the same thing as a medical diagnosis so it's kind of aligning those two and like you know promoting against those who speak ill of mental health Um, and educating people about it, educating yourself about it, you know, talking about it more and more and more. It opens the doors for those um, to feel more comfortable in their experiences with their condition, um, with their diagnosis, to be able to normalize it. You know, I love how every now and then I'm talking to people and I hear them go, oh yeah, my therapist told me this, my therapist. I'm like, yes, Yes. get it. (laughs) You know, like... Just, just, it's okay. It's okay to be in therapy. I wish everyone, I mean, like, if anyone tells you that they don't have a problem, that, that's a lot. (laughs) Everyone does. (laughs) Counseling is so amazing to be able to sit down and talk to someone about how you're feeling, what your thoughts are, especially a professional who's, you know, been trained to help you in this area. So, yeah, I think the biggest way of, minimizing that and kind of even going away with it is really looking to yourself for your own biases, your own stigmas, and then educating yourself and then promoting it, you know, promoting against stigmas. Yeah. So I have the privilege of being in abnormal psychology at school. And we were talking about diagnosis and just, you know, the things we could do to lessen the stigma especially within the church and we were given the you know the task to come up with you know creative ways so just in case there are pastors or whoever who's you know for 
a congregation who's out there who may be wondering how can I do this in a creative way instead of like just you know just preaching at someone or anything we came up with you know having drama therapy someone brought up that and I was like yes sis we can do that like doing you know, plays where you show how someone can overcome mental health by bringing out these, you know, solutions in that therapy. Because you find that people, you know, we're visual people, we're story, we love stories and stuff like that. So if you do drama therapy, that's one way that, you know, we can lessen the stigmas. And we can have like open mic nights where we have question and answers that it gives people the comfort of not just sitting in church on a Sunday. Like a Q&A. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. But you have that forum where you can talk and just feel like, oh, we're all on the same level. And also like if leaders are able to open up and say, I was going through this, but this is what I did. Testimonies. Yeah. yeah. Testimonies. They, they break a lot. And it allows people to realize that we're leaders but we're also human and yes. we're on the same level absolutely and i go through this and it's okay if you're going through this so those are just you know some creative ways i love that <laughs> yeah we have creative arts you know like that's just the youth really enjoy that mm -hmm. they have dance therapy yes. there's just so many creative ways of um doing it you're absolutely right those those are essential to try to, you know, minimize um, the stigma. And absolutely, I think um, being a leader, a pastor, a minister, and being able to stand up there and say, hey, like, I, I went through this and I'm still going through this or I'm, right. like, experiencing this is so important for others to be able to um, watch and say, well, if they're going through it, it's okay if I'm going through yeah. it. You know, people tend to um, model behaviors and people tend to... Um, admire those who are in leadership so if you're able to really share you know what you're going through and not just like I used to be this way and now I'm this way you know like I used to have depression and now I'm completely healed I mean that could be your story and praise God for that and yeah. I think that that's important to share but also um, I feel like it's also okay to share the testimony of like I've been battling with depression for the last 10 years and God has kept me that's a testimony. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm still, you know, dealing with these thoughts or that thoughts, you know? Um, and that's, that's important to share because it makes other people feel at ease and right. knowing that they're not alone and that there's not something wrong with their faith, mm -hmm. you know? And that's kind of been the biggest issue with mental health diagnosis in the church is that a lot of weight is put on the individual's faith. You know, if you had more faith, if, yeah. you know, then yeah. you wouldn't be here. And, and that's not okay, yeah. you know, because that's, that's not the answer. The answer is to be supportive, loving, you know, and kind and walk them through that stages of mental health. And that's, and that's really what the church has done for me, you know, since I went through what I went through, you know. So I, I struggled with depression early, early on in my early 20s. Now that I'm 34, right? <laughs> and, um that's kind of how I came to God it's, yeah. it's through that um, season of my life where I was severely depressed and I felt like the Lord had healed me from it and um, although I have never necessarily went back to that same state of mind of feeling suicidal um, throughout the years I have battled with feeling down and feeling like you know, maybe what if this happens, you know, just feeling, feeling in the what ifs and feeling sad and feeling like 
I'm still, you know, depressed and I've had situations in my life that have come up, you know, a lot of trauma, loss, grief, and um, feeling like, Lord, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't, you know, the scripture says that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? right. Why am I not feeling joyful? <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like, you know, my curse, like, you know, and, and you know, think, count it all joy, right? Yeah. So you start to feel like, that's not applicable to me in this season that I'm in. But if you also look the life of David, you know, the Jeremiah, like you read about these men of God who went through a season in their lives where they were down, but God still lifted them up, you know, and it's okay to be in that season. It's okay to experience that and say, God has kept me. And that's my story. God has kept me, you know, all throughout these years. Like, I just thank God where I'm at. And I thank science that God created to help me to be here because it was through counseling and the support of those who are believers that I was able to overcome a lot of these obstacles that are related to mental health, depression, anxiety, trauma. You know, at some point, my one of my professors was like, you're so resilient. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> let's talk about resilience. Huh? So it's, it's not me, you know, it's definitely God and the yeah. tools that God has put in place such as therapy, medication, you know, supports, like it's, it all comes together to help us, um, to overcome. And, and that's, and that's the message that we want to give as believers that there is hope even in the midst of the darkness, right. you know, there is hope, there is hope, there is no, you know, reason to believe that there isn't although when you are suffering you feel like there isn't yeah. and that's where the church comes in and says no there is and we show them that there is hope in Christ Jesus wow mm -hmm. I mean I know you kind of shared a little bit here and there about your story but I feel like a great way to close this off if you don't mind is sharing your story like yeah. I feel like I'm intrigued and I'm pretty sure those who are listening are probably hearing her say you know this, I hope I get to share my story and hinting, but no, we want to hear your story because I believe your story will change lives, so I'm ready. Well, amen. Okay, well, I've had a lot of practice in sharing my story in five minutes, so I promise I won't keep you guys long. Um, so, you know, I, I came from a family that... Um, with, with a, a single family, right? With my mom and my dad wasn't a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And um, early on, I, I knew that my mom tried to abort me when I was a baby. Um, and that's because she was a young teen parent, right? She was, you know, I don't know, 16, 17 at the time. She didn't know what to do with her life. So she tried to abort me. And when she went to the abortion clinic, the doctor told her he wasn't going to do it. So that was like the first sign to my mom that like she wasn't supposed to do it yeah. then her second sign was that a friend of hers um went to the same doctor or a different doctor i'm not sure and her friend ended up passing away from the abortion which was really wow. really sad so that was another thing where my mom was like okay i'm not doing this i'm just gonna keep this child and i really feel like that was the lord's hand upon my life right. but that is so significant because that was like the sort like one of the major sources of my depression Growing up, it was feeling like I did I wasn't wanted, 
like she was kind of forced into having me. Like it wasn't so much of a choice, right? Like, like my mom almost killed me, you know? So that like stuck with me and it made me severely sad. And not only dad, but my dad wasn't a part of my life and he had the choice to be and he chose not to. So that really caused a lot of rejection, a lot of abandonment, you know? And I wasn't raised with my mom. So like my mom couldn't abort me had me and then left to the US. I'm originally from Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, and uh, my grandmother raised me. So I always felt like unwanted from all ends. Like my mom didn't want me, my dad didn't want me. So I suffered a lot with depression, but I didn't know back then that it was depression. You know, I was a kid, a teenager. I'm just like so sad all the time. Um, And a lot of that resulted in um, irritability and anger. Um, We mostly see these signs with um, young adult, um, young teenagers, male, like their depression is exhibited through irritability and madness and getting upset. So just watch out for that. Cause a lot of time that's confused with other things, but yeah, so I was very, very angry. Um, got into a lot of fights, you know, growing up and God's hand was upon me. Cause I kind of always won those fights. <laughs> this advocate for like kids who were being bullied at school and I just had this like tender heart but at the same time I was so like angry and I was like I'm gonna be a, a, you know someone out there who's gonna help those in need but I was fighting the battle the wrong way yeah. um so by the time I'm a teenager I'm you know getting involved in relationships that I shouldn't be in because I'm looking for acceptance I'm looking for love I'm looking for all these different things and I'm still battling with that sadness like crying all the time you know not really finding joy or finding happiness and feeling like I just wish I can die like not be a part of this world like I just like I felt like I was a mistake so what was I doing here like what was the purpose for my life you know so um when I I think I was about 16, 17, I met my ex-husband and um, he was like the Don Juan, you know, like the man that everybody wanted. (laughs) (laughs) He he had a car, a job, he was good looking, he was much older, all these girls were like crazy about him and um, I was like, stay away, you know, I can tell you're no good, Um, but I ended up falling in love with him and marrying him and this particular... um, men he had a lot of trauma of his own um and that's his story to tell um but you know that translated into how his behavior impacted our relationship which became um very toxic and um it became a domestic violence relationship where he was very abusive verbally and physically and that went on for seven years um so here we are again right like i thought i had found my prince charming and now i'm feeling all of these emotions all over again and like just feeling sad depressed and just trying to like no one really knew what I was going through you know that's what I'm saying like you don't know what somebody sitting next to you is going through I'm in school I'm working and no one knows that I'm going through these things my family didn't know I came with every excuse in the book like if I had a bruise it was like oh I fell or I did this or I did that you know um and no one really took the time to ask, to ask yeah. you know what I'm saying and I can just imagine if someone did like maybe me breaking down and crying because like no one did and because I've always been such like a strong person and had a strong personality I bet everyone is like there's no way like you know what I'm yeah. saying you just never know and um it wasn't until I was 22 
that, um, and I don't know why 22, but it was at 22 where I started to feel like super numb about life to the point where I was like, okay, I'm either going to kill myself or kill him. And I need to, you know, at the time I blamed him for all of my problems, um, which, you know, he accounted for a good percentage of my issues, but he wasn't all of my problems. Like my root of rejection came from my upbringing, from, you know, feeling what I felt like I explained earlier about my mom and my dad. So um, eventually, you know, we separated, but it wasn't like, okay, you know, we need to be apart. It was more like, I need a break. And I really think that was God's grace and wisdom because I didn't have the strength to be like, I don't want to be with you anymore. You know, like I loved him so much. He was my first love. So I took a break. And when I took that break, I realized, and when I say I took a break, like he was in the military, you know, I asked him to go into his base and I was going to stay home for a week just to kind of take a break from everything. And I did. And that week turned into two weeks and two weeks turned into three weeks. And every day away from him just felt so much peaceful. And during that time frame is when, you know, I decided like, okay, I can't go back. Like I want to have a different kind of life. I started praying, asking God for strength. Um, I got involved in another relationship I shouldn't have been while I was still legally married. It was a mess. It was a mess. And um, I was like, oh, you know, I'm happy again. And, you know, I'm just jumping of all this joy. And then that relationship came to an end because the guy quickly realized that something was wrong with me. (laughs) I don't even know how long. I like three months. I don't know why it took him that long. But it was like, what is wrong with this girl? Like, I didn't realize how impacted I had been because of all the domestic violence all of the trauma I'd been through you know and how depressed I still was and like how needy I had become and like I didn't really know how to be um I didn't have like my own identity you know it was just it was a crazy season of my life so when that relationship came to an end that's when it hit rock bottom although I had suffered with depression for many years that's the point where I was like okay it's time to commit suicide it's time for me to just take my life. Like, I have no purpose of being here, you know? And um, I was watching TV and, you know, they have this commercial and I was like, have you been feeling suicidal? Call 1-800, you know? (laughs) And I lived in Virginia and I was like, okay, I'm gonna call. And I did and I found myself in a a hospital and um, I checked myself in. And it it was hard because I was with a lot of people who were also suffering like me some who were um, having delusions and some who weren't. And um, they had a Bible in my room. And I remember starting to read it and starting to feel like, okay, God, like, are you, are you really out there? (laughs) Like, are you going to help me? (laughs) Like something's wrong and I don't know how to fix myself. And I think that's where I came to the end of myself to realize that I needed, I needed God, Mm -hmm. you know? And part of that healing came from, you know, allowing the Lord to put back into my life what was lacking, which was purpose, number one, and number two, joy, despite of what I was going through. So it doesn't mean that I was out there skipping, you know, and being so happy, but it was more like I woke up one day and it was like these lenses had been removed, this dark lens, and now I can see clear and I can think clearly. Um, You know, I had prayed and asked God to come in and help me, and he did. And it was from that moment moment on that I then began to seek help 
okay. So, I mean, I already had gone to the hospital, but now I was like, I want to be around people of God. Yes. You know, I want to learn more about this God who's healing me, who's healed me. Um, and I stayed in therapy, you know, and I've been in therapy my whole life since then. You know, I'm 30 for over 10 years. I take breaks here and there, but I'm always in therapy. Even if I got nothing going on, <laughs> I'm sitting there and my therapist is like, so what do you want to talk about today? Well, well, <laughs> because it's, I'm so used to it. It was it was the tool that got used. And I, I've been, God has broken through a lot of different aspects of my life. Even the fact that I'm married again, that's God's redemption. Yeah. You know, after all the hurt and pain that I have felt, I never thought that I would be remarried again. And here I am with a man of God who loves the Lord and who's respectful, who doesn't put his hands on me. And it's just like, it's just beautiful to see what God does. But that came from a place of not only prayer, but a place of support being in therapy, learning about the cognitive distortions that I had in my brain. Like, you know, and that's the psychology aspect of it. When I was severely depressed, I wanted to know what was going on with me. Like, why can't I shake this off? Right? Because you're like, you can do anything you put your mind into it. (laughs) You can't really do that. You can't shake off cancer. (laughs) You can't shake off depression. And a lot of people tend to think that you can't, but you can't. That's something that can only happen with the Lord's help, number one, and then medicine, like allowing the medical aspect of things to take place. And that's what happened for me. Like God did that for me through his power, through therapists, you know, and from there on, it's just been like what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn about the brain and the same way that I was starting to find healing and be healed I wanted others to find that same answer I'm like how many other people are like me out there (laughs) you know like even people listening right now they're like yeah that's me too you know like like I wanted to give back what I had learned you know and throughout the years I have never been back to that place where I was before but I still sometimes have seasons of my life where I'm sadder than others you know where I'm feeling more anxious than others um where I'm, you know, dealing with circumstances, you know, I know that there was a a dark season in my life when I lost my twins and I was like, I'm walking away from God and I was just feeling super low, super down. And again, if you look at any research, it shows that the support system is crucial to an individual's well-being, to individual's mental health. And had I not had that support, I probably would have went back into the deep end. You know, so again, it falls back on the individual support system, the people that they're around in the church mm-hmm. is is so important to be that support. And that's what happened for me. The only reason why I'm even here having this discussion with you is because of God and God's support system that was put into place, you know, and, and what he used in our mental health field of, of prevention, you know, therapist and um, being able to just learn more about myself you know my triggers and what causes me to be sad what causes me not to be sad you know what are some things I need to stay away from like what are some core beliefs that I have about myself you know Mm -hmm. that needs to be changed and a lot of people don't realize this but the bible and the psychological books that you read are very much alike very much alike (laughs) Everything comes from the Bible. Yeah, cognitive (laughs) reframing. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Like, doesn't that, Paul, renew your mind? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like, all of these things come together. It's so beautiful. And um, 
one of the things that I just learned, it's called motivational interviewing and it's MIT. It's like helping people change without telling them to change. Right. Which is very beautiful. The founder of that technique that is used all over the world. And it's very secular. The motivational interviewing was founded by William Miller, who is an actual Christian. So this man is a believer and he started it based on the foundations of being non-judgmental, the foundation <laughs> of hearing people out and like biblical foundations, which is now used all over the world. And I done my own research in, into him and I found that he has a book called Living As If. I have not read it yet, but I am looking forward to like reading like how he combined faith and how he came out with this theology. So um, not theology, I'm sorry, theory because of his theology Mm -hmm. so it's just i don't know like it's just amazing how the two worlds were really meant to be together but you know society or people have separated them too but god is like i created science i created your brain i'm the master of it i know and this is why i have the same way he has doctors taking care of physical aspects of you there's you know doctors who can take care of your mental health as well wow yeah <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, before we close out, would you mind like repeating the resources that you've stated earlier, like the prevention hotline, the text, and everything, the book? You know, we all need it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, would you mind closing us out in prayer and just praying for those who may be struggling with their purpose or, you know? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, the number one resource that I mentioned was the the crisis text line, and that is crisis counselors who are available 24 hours. And that number, um, you just grab your phone and you text 741-7741. It's just a text. The next one is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are feeling suicidal, if you're feeling you know, so down where you feel like I need to take my life, you know, and it might not even be like, you don't have a plan yet, but you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Call. If you have a plan, definitely call. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. And then close to my heart is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, A lot of women um, or even men are in situations in relationships that are um, traumatizing, that are very physical and abusive. And, you know, God did not call you to be in that. Um, I remember, you know, when I was in in a relationship like this and I had talked to someone, they were like, well, maybe God can change that person. And you're right. Maybe God can. But he's not asking you to stick around to see that change. Mm. Right. That's important because you could lose your life. Yeah. And um, if you are in a situation like that and you find yourself in a safe space where you can make this phone call, do so. And that number is 1-800-799-7233. And for all of those who are in school, go find your school counselor's office. Go talk to them. They're there. They're professionals. They're ready for that. Um, And then the, the book that I mentioned is Living As If. It's by William Miller. Um, please check it out again. I can't say how good it is because I haven't <laughs> read it. Um, but another book that comes to my mind, and I don't know the author's name, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And um, it's a book based on trauma and like how our bodies keep the score of things that we've been through. There's been a lot of research done on individuals. It's called an ACE score. Individuals who have been tr- through traumatic events, which can shorten their life's their life spam. So like someone who's, you know, been 
through sexual abuse, physical abuse, like all these different things and they haven't recovered and they're living in a way where it's like I'm not you know healed yet um it can cause additional stress to your body um you know causing heart attack you know just different medical diagnosis which which can shorten your lifespan and there's research to prove that it's called the ACEs project so again you want long life you know and it's not your fault a lot of these things that could have happened to you is not your fault right Mm -hmm. um but there are people and resources out there to help you to overcome these things. Number one, God, and he provides all these additional helps um, with the, within the psych- psychology um, team to be able to do that. So these are um, some of the resources um, that you can reach out to. And, you know, you have friends. Find someone that you trust. Um, you know, maybe someone in your church, maybe someone at home, a family member. Just reach out to them. So with that being said, um, let's close out in prayer and um, just ask God to, to minister to everyone's heart listening to this podcast. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us on that cross, Lord. Thank you that um, as you died on the cross for us, Lord, you bore with you, all of our shame, all of our infirmities, all of our illnesses and sickness, Lord. And Father, that if we turn to you, Lord, there's so much, Father God, that we can receive from you, Lord. And I just ask in the name of Jesus for everyone who is listening um, to this podcast who may be struggling, Father God, um, with your own mental health diagnosis and illnesses, Lord. And maybe they're feeling so afraid. They don't even know what this label, this diagnosis means, Father God. Maybe they're ashamed, Father God. Lord, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would give them, Father God, um, the strength and the power, Father God, and the ability to trust you and know that they are in your hands, Lord, and that you have the answer. You created them inside of their mother's womb, and you know every piece, Father God, of their bodies, their minds, and their hearts, God, and that you're leading, that you would lead them into a place of healing, Lord. Lord, I ask for all of those, Father God, who have family members who are suffering from substance abuse, from any mental health conditions, Father God. Lord, that you would give them the wisdom, Father God, that you would give them, Father God, the the strength that they need and the love and the compassion and the unconditional positive regard towards their loved ones, Father God, to be able to help them, Father God, through the season, Lord. Lord, I ask for all church leaders and members, oh, Father God, to be able to create such a safe environment, Father God, an environment of support for those who are suffering with mental health, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would break the barriers of the biases and stigmas of mental health, Lord, that you would bring healing, Father God, to a population, oh, Father God, who is so in desperate need of you, Lord, (laughs) a population that I include myself in, Lord, because we need you, God. So I just ask, Lord, that you would minister to anyone's heart who is listening right now, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to um, speak of your goodness and to glorify your name, Father God, in our lives. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. And thank you again for sharing with us. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you.